strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Hope you got a great weekend planned. Super Bowl weekend. We're not selling anything, so I don't have to say the big game. It's the Super Bowl. If we were selling something, it'd be different. Um, appreciate you being here. I, I'd love to. Now, let me ask a question. I am a quick, quick survey. A impromptu survey from the two of you in there. What you got for us? Who are you picking to win the Super Bowl? 49ers, and I'm a Cowboys fan. All right. I'm saying something. I, think, I don't know. I think the Chiefs. See, I, I'm 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 on the fence. I just can't. I hope I like Brock Purdy. I love the story. I think they've got an amazing team. But I Absolutely. don't know that I can I don't know that I can bet against Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I just the guy has just been a magician. But can he do two in a row? That's the that's the trick. That's, I mean, how many times have they been here though in his young career? He has got the upper hand. I just think with the experience, that's all. Yeah, but when you're a rookie, you have nothing to expect. So is that better? Yeah, or I mean, worse? You know, the, listen, the guy that 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 Purdy kid is wise beyond his years. That is a cool kid. He is Very calm. So. He's a but. I just think in that game. What you have to do to win, I just think Patrick Mahomes has the edge. That's my opinion. I wouldn't be surprised if Purdy won it, but I'm just going. I think Mahomes has got the experience. Andy Reid, the great coach. All right. We'll see who gets bragging rights on Monday. We will, (laughs) yeah. Yes, because we would never wager. Let's just say we'd never bet. So, (laughs) all right. So let's get to the serious business of what happened yesterday. The president of the United States, I think, was it was a horrible idea to do what he did. Um, I think his people now, in hindsight, it was a bad idea for him to face reporters as he did yesterday. They've sheltered him. There's no doubt the president's been sheltered from the press in a lot of ways. And that's not a bad thing because there's a lot of people that that happens with. Um, But the DOJ released its report on the classified document investigation into the current president. Now, we know the former president was investigated. We know the former vice president, Pence, said he had documents that he had to turn back in. So we know that this has happened before. Hillary Clinton, secretary of state, what happened with her in the investigation. This isn't something unique. It's happened to many people. The former president was charged. This president's not going to be charged. The one of the reasons given is kind of what I think is the unraveling of this presidency, because there is merit behind it. What I mean by that is the the people can see the president of the United States has said, watch what I do. Watch me. They always that's what he has said from the beginning. Watch me. And that's what he has. Well, the people have been watching him. And so it's not people are not surprised by this. But what the. DOJ report said that one of the reasons, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why they were not going to charge him outside of the fact that he's a sitting president. Can you do that? But it was because a jury might he might. I'm going to read it again. He might come across to a jury as and here's the quotes, a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. That would be what they would see in President Biden now. 
the classified documents in which they acknowledge that he willfully kept documents go all the way back to the 1970s. I saw pictures this morning in some of the news stories of back at his time in the Congress on trips that he had made. And there was documents of his trips, foreign travels that are classified documents. Now, are they huge national security issues? I have no idea. I just know they're classified. And the president of the United States, going all the way back to his time in the Congress, has kept documents he wasn't supposed to have. You're talking about the 1970s. They've been in the garage. They've been in a desk. They've been here. They've been there. Cardboard boxes left unsecured. Bad enough. Not going to be charged. No big deal in that regard. Hillary Clinton wasn't charged. But when you say that one of the reasons and you put it in a in a federal government report from the Department of Justice, that one of the reasons why we are not going to charge him is because we don't think he'll get convicted because he may come across as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. You know what it reminded me of? If and I, I don't I don't want to I'm not calling this president a mobster. But if you ever watched some of the movies about the old mob trials or some of the documentaries about the old mob trials, if you are a Sopranos fan, what they did when Junior Soprano was on trial, what they do with him? They put him in a wheelchair. They put him on oxygen and he didn't know what he was doing. Uh, and I can't remember which of the mob bosses did the exact same thing that when he was under inv- in, under, under indictment. They showed him walking around his neighborhood, shuffling in slippers and a robe, a very pathetic, sympathetic figure that wasn't. So that's what they they that was an act. The American people don't see this as an act. The president came out swinging yesterday, defending himself, defending his presidency. But um, the president was uh, was asked about this report that called him elderly. Something the special counsel said in his report is that one of the reasons you were not charged is because, in his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, I put this country back on its feet. I don't need his recommendation. It's How totally bad out. is your memory, and can you continue as president? My memory is so bad, I let you speak. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Mr. Uh, President, Mr. President, Mr. President. Do voters have concerns about your age? How are you going to assuage them? And do you fear that this report is only going to fuel further concerns about your age? Only by some of you. I believe the first part of that question was Peter Ducey, and that's why the president cracked, well, tried to be funny in saying, my memory is so bad I let you speak. Um, he was asked about his age, and this was another part of it when he was asked about that. Mr. President, for months when you were asked about your age, you would respond with the words, watch me. Watch Many me. American people have been watching, and they have expressed concerns about your age. That is they, your judgment. They, that is your is judgment. Public that is not the judgment concerns. of the press. They express concerns about your mental acuity. They say that you are too old. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? Why, what is your answer? Because I'm to white that? person in this country be president of the United States and finish the job I started. So the, there is the question now and the answer of watch me. And that's the other part of this. America has been watching. I have 
if you're a, if you're a regular listener to this show, I haven't talked about any of this. I have not gone down this road. They did it to President Trump, um, and not because I was defending President Trump. I was defending America, telling the world that we have a president that has lost his mind and should be nowhere near the nuclear codes, sends the wrong message to our enemies. At the time, we still were in Afghanistan. We still had troops that were fighting wars. We still have troops all over the world in harm's way. But at the time, we had all those troops in Afghanistan. We had pulled out of Iraq. We know what happened with ISIS and all the things that happened there. But I thought it was a bad look that you had the American media trying to use this warped version of the 25th Amendment to get rid of the former president. I thought it was a bad message for America. I haven't done it to Joe Biden. The evidence – America watches the evidence. I have not done those things to Joe Biden even though I don't think he should be president because I don't like his policies. And I don't think the 25th Amendment should be used to pull him out of office. If the president isn't doing the job, then the president should step aside. If the president doesn't believe he is capable of another four years of the job or the people closest to him don't believe that, they should tell him to drop out of the race. Using the 25th Amendment or the 14th Amendment or using some other technicality to get a president out of office seems to me to be not the way to go. It seems to me to be a an almost... It's almost not cowardly, but it's one of those things that's frustrating. You couldn't win it on merit, so you find a technicality, whether it's the birth certificate of Obama or whatever it is. You got to figure out why you lost the elections or why you're losing elections and go win elections. And I didn't talk about it. I thought it was bad to do it to Trump. But now this reports out by the DOJ. This is completely different than MSNBC going after a Republican president. This is this president's Department of Justice. The entire country should be concerned about the perception of the American presidency. In a moment, more East Valley burglaries connected to an international crime read. We're going to talk crime and punishment in a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Earlier this week, we had the chief of police from the city of Scottsdale, Chief Walther, on with us talking about a crime wave of sorts uh, happening all over the East Valley. But Scottsdale was quoted in this, and I know that East Valley cities are dealing with this. An organized crime, they believe, is from South South American countries. People, what they called crime tourism, coming to the U.S., realizing the wealth of people in the U.S., breaking into houses where they're stealing valuables that they know they can resell quickly, whether it's precious metals, handbags things of that nature. And there's been an uptick. It happened back in 2019, 2020, and now they're seeing an uptick in that happening again. And the reason why Chief Walther came on with us was to inform the public, this is where it's happening. These are the kinds of places they're looking for. This is what to look for. This is how to protect yourself. He believes, and I think he's right, that having information in the hands of the public to protect themselves is the way to go. So I will give you that first, which is uh, if you live, if your house backs up to a golf course, backs up to a wash that isn't, you know, very public, um, hiking trails that you, you know, they're after places where they can get in through those means. They're not going up the street through the front door. Um, the other part of it is he said neighborhood watch or at least talking to your neighbors. When you're not home, they watch your place. When you're, they're not home, you watch their place. Having a coordinated effort with your neighbors to watch out for each other. 
If you see something out of the ordinary, you have to call the police. They said there was a burglary thwarted by somebody in the city of Scottsdale that said, I heard something. It didn't sound right. And they were able to thwart a burglary simply by calling the police and having them in the area. So all of those things are helpful. They even do a security review with the city of Scottsdale Police Department where and I don't know that other agencies have the ability to do this. I just know he said in certain parts of Scottsdale, they can come out to your home and they'll talk to you about, do you have cameras? Do you have a uh, a shrubbery. Do you have bushes that are blocking windows and doors where criminals can hide behind the foliage and get access to your home? Things like that. Lighting and motion sensors and recommendations of what you can do to make your home more secure. We talk about these items. I just think because um, there are a few things that are a bigger invasion of privacy. There are some things that are much worse, but having someone in your home, it would be terrifying if somebody was home and a burglary happened. But you come home and find out that your privacy has been violated and someone has been in your home. The physical stuff, homeowners insurance may pay for it. It might not. You may not get it back. And sometimes it's horrible if it's things that are precious to you and they could never be replaced, even if you get reimbursed. But it's the invasion of privacy. It's the idea that your home is supposed to be your castle. And if somebody is in your home, how devastating that would be. So this international crime ring suspected of targeting Gilbert homes now. So this is across the East Valley. Gilbert police reported is currently investigating seven residential burglaries that appeared similar break-ins in North Scottsdale by South American by a South American gang. Now, for the clarification's sake, when I talked to the chief of police from Scottsdale, it was a South American gang, I think back in 2019, kind of the same MO. So the belief is it follows the same pattern. They believe it's the same people. But he said, hey, listen, if it turns out not to be them, we can talk about that later. I'm just giving you the information we have on who we believe it is. So this wasn't some kind of racial profiling thing. This was based on evidence that they had, and this is the concern. So getting, I'm talking to everybody across the valley this there is an uptick in this and he, they could they compared it to the organized retail theft in this sense that with organized retail theft, you know why they're doing it. They're going in, smashing grabs in force with things they know they can sell very quickly online. And they're doing the same thing in these burglaries and sometimes working with some of those same organizations where they are having what's called a fence, sell those things for them very quickly online. So Protect yourself. All of the things I just said, if you live in Gilbert and I don't know the situation in Gilbert, if they do those kind of security checks where they come and take a look at your home, I don't know that every police agency in the valley has an opportunity to have the manpower to do that. But I would tell you that you need some kind of security. There's no doubt about that, that having the ability to make your home less attractive to potential burglars is the way to go. And just to take a look at it, read these stories and read the MO, read what people are doing. And um, you will be able to, I think, protect yourself just with that knowledge and have those conversations with your neighbors. You're going to be gone for the weekend. Let your neighbor go. I got to tell you, my old neighborhood, uh, when I lived, my neighbor, Paul, to this day, is still watchful of my place. When I lived there, we were watchful of each other. And I, there's nothing I appreciate more than knowing that someone's keeping an eye out, keeping an ear out just in case. 
It, it's it's very um, it, it is very reassuring, and I think if, you know, get to know your neighbors, have conversations with each other about watching each other's places when you're not home. It, it's a great it, that's one great tool. In a moment, uh, we're going to go back to the border issue. We had uh, Representative Siskamani on this morning. You're going to hear Lindsey Graham talk about why he was against the Senate bill, and you're going to hear Representative Siskamani say he was against this bill and why. All that's coming up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, we've got two new shows in the afternoon here at KTAR. They started this week. It's the Chris and Joe Show. It airs 2 to 4 p.m., followed by Outspoken with Bruce and Gatos, 4 to 7 p.m. You can watch those on KTAR.com or the KTAR News app. You can listen at 92.3 FM or the News app as well. But check them out. You're going to love them. (laughs) Oh, happy Friday. Uh, it is. Uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us. We are already ready for our weekend, as you can tell. I'm already a little punchy, but uh, this, I, the, the conversation about the border bill. Uh, I've got a quote here from Senator Graham. Um, I will be voting no on cloture on the national security supplemental package minus the border security provisions because I believe we have not done all we can to secure our southern border. I have ideas to improve the border provisions. I think they are worthy of consideration by the Senate. I am insistent that we continue our efforts to secure our own border before we turn to helping other countries. I enthusiastically support Ukraine, Taiwan, and Israel. But I have been saying for months now, we must protect America first. I believe there is much more we can do in this regard. I insist that we try. We should not rush this process because senators want to go on a break. It's too important. So this is the response. Republicans taking a lot of heat for this uh, and Democrats capitalizing as they should politically. That's the way the political uh, pendulum swings. You know, what do they say? Sometimes you're the hammer. Sometimes you're the nail. Um, But. I just think that it's to a certain extent, it's overplayed. And what I mean by this is both sides are doing it. If the Republicans are saying this doesn't go far enough, the Democrats don't have the majority they need to get this done. They need the Republicans. If this is this big of an issue and now the president has opened this door, what here's the problem for I think for uh, maybe I'm saying this the wrong way. Maybe people think I see it the wrong way. But we've been hearing from this administration for over three years that the border is fine. It's secure. Now, we're doing our best to secure it as much as possible, but it's secure. It's fine. And everybody knew that it wasn't. And it was interesting, as long as it was border states, and at the time, it was a Republican governor in Texas, a Republican governor in Arizona, crying. This was when Ducey was governor here, was was saying the border's got to be fixed. The border's got to be fixed. When those governors, along with the governor of Florida, DeSantis, decided that they were going to start busing and flying migrants to the cities they wanted to go to, Chicago, New York, D.C., these cities began to be overwhelmed. The state of Massachusetts was in such a crisis, their governor was begging their citizens to take migrants into their homes. Now it became a national problem. Now it became a bipartisan problem because Democrat-run states and Democrat-run cities were saying the exact same thing about the number of people here as were the Republican governors of Arizona, Texas, and Florida. 
So now, within the span of the last month, to, from my ears, maybe two months, the White House has done a 180. And now they say the border is broken. It needs to be fixed. Well, now they've opened the Pandora's box. The White House has said it's a crisis. Um, we have heard now I will give uh, Senator Cinema credit for a couple of things. I think Senator Cinema is genuine in wanting to fix this issue. I don't think this is a political issue for her. She's from Arizona um, and I believe she wants it fixed. And she has been calling this administration and others, but this administration a failure on the border for a very long time. Senator Kelly is now calling it a crisis and shame on Republicans for not fixing it. But now you've got these very staunch Democrats that are now also publicly saying that the border is broken and it's a crisis. Well, you've got people that I respect. Maybe you don't. You've got Juan Siscomani. You've got Andy Biggs. You have got now Lindsey Graham saying this bill didn't go far enough. It didn't secure the border. Lindsey Graham saying, listen, I want to see this measures brought up. There are certain things I think need to be done. I think those items should be heard. Let's not just go on break and get something passed. Let's get the right thing passed. Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's fix it. Now that we all agree that it's broken because we didn't for three years. For three years, it wasn't an agreement on both sides of the aisle that the border was broken. Now, all of a sudden, there's agreement that the border is broken. So I'm going to I'm going to try to do a little jujitsu here. I'm going to use the argument back on the other side. So the Democrats didn't get their way. They didn't get their piece of legislation into the Senate onto the Senate floor for debate. I don't blame Senator Cinema for being upset. I don't blame any of that. I don't. I, she should be upset. She worked hard on that bill along with a Republican and a Democrat, and she thought she had a good starting point. It didn't work out because there were many Democrats that were against this as well. Both sides didn't like it. So now here's the jujitsu part. You didn't get what you wanted. Are you willing to go back to the table and say this issue is so, so, uh, so important? We're going to listen to what everybody wants. Listen to the Democrats that were against it. Listen to the Republicans that were against it. And let's start to build a coalition of all of the senators. Let's get to the 60 votes to get something to the floor for debate. And in doing that, do you get the House of Representatives, which is still a slight majority for Republicans, but still a majority of Republicans that would pass a bill that would closely enough match it to get it to the president's desk? Then there's the other question. This president talking about a broken border, this president saying these are the tools he needs. I'll shut the border down immediately if I have these tools, which we, which I will tell you, I know for a fact is not true because he has the tools at his disposal to close it down. But he doesn't like those tools. That being said, if you get something that the Congress finally hammers out and you put it on his desk, if it's not the bill he wanted before, is this an important enough compromise and issue for him to sign it? The politics of the other side of this has been Donald Trump didn't like this bill because Donald Trump doesn't want Joe Biden to have a victory. And so don't listen to Donald Trump. As the president said, the members of Republicans in Congress should have a spine. Well, you alienated everybody when you said that. That is not someone that is trying to bring people to the table. That is throwing down the political gauntlet. That's just my opinion. No matter what you think of what the Republicans did, this is where the president of the United States is supposed to be the negotiator that says, we need Republicans back on this. But it was a campaign speech. That's just my opinion. I'm not 
I mean, listen, I know that people I get accused of being a, a defender of Donald Trump. Listen to the show for a listen to me speak about some of the misgivings and shortcomings and things I don't agree with. I'm not a sycophant for anyone. I am an American first. This issue has me so heated up because I've been in Arizona for 29 years. This issue has been a big issue for at least 25 of the 29 years that I've been paying attention, especially for the 20 years I've been doing this in some shape or form in radio and public speaking. The border issue is a huge issue to me because I love this state. I want it fixed. Now you throw into the mix the fact that uh, China is no longer our number one trading partner. It's Mexico. And the financial and business implications are even more severe. Then you look at the drugs coming in through the state of Arizona. Will the parties go to the table? That's a great question. Coming up, credit card debt, auto loan delinquencies on the rise. What does this mean for consumer spending in the next half of the year? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. so much for being here. Um, Americans owe over $1.1 trillion in credit card debt. A, a record numbers can't afford their rent is one of the headlines. Here is another one. Credit card and auto loan delinquencies continue rising, notably among younger borrowers. This is a story from just three days ago. The New York Fed issued an accompanying Liberty Street economic blog post examining composition of auto loans balances and performances and age. Uh, the quarterly report also includes a one-page summary of key takeaways of their supporting data. Credit card and auto loan transitions in delinquency are still rising above pre-pandemic levels. According to a researcher for the New York Fed, this signals increased financial stress, especially among younger and lower income households. So um, we have seen an increase in debt for people that are carrying increased by $212 billion in the fourth quarter of last year. The reason why I bring this up is that we have seen jobs be the key indicator of the economy. I'm thrilled to see jobs have remained strong. Um, but are we going to see we've seen layoffs also increase? We haven't seen much in the unemployment rate change. But we are seeing people with more and more debt and creating and keeping more and more debt. The issue for that with that, obviously, is at some point it's going to affect spending. You're going to see the opposite happen. You're going to see people defaulting on credit card payments. You're going to see them defaulting on auto loans. And you're going to see people falling with into bad credit situations where they aren't able to spend anymore. When do we hit that point? How is it that we hit that point? Um, and I'm not sure where that comes, you know, what that, when that is going to come, but we know that it's going to happen. These are just some of the headlines. I'm thrilled that we still have this. The Phoenix, Phoenix has slipped out of the top 10 in the Milken Institute's ranking of best performing cities. The Metro Phoenix area, it's not just the city, it's the Phoenix Mesa Metro area. 
um, said they fell 10 spots on the report, dropping from number eight now to number uh, 18. The Phoenix was as high as number four on the list in 2022. They saw a slight drop in many of the 13 categories that they use in performance. The ranking for short-term job growth saw a large decrease falling from 56 to 110th. It also is uh, doing worse when it comes to housing affordability. So we are seeing a crunch. I'm not, you know, I'm not predicting nor am I hoping for bad news, but we have to keep an eye on this. Our country is spending way more money than they're taking in, and I don't believe that the nation has an income problem. Do Does the private sector have a, an income problem or a spending problem? Prices remain high. Uh, one of the warnings, this is from the website Zero Hedge, says diesel prices are primed to rise sharply in 2024. Global, global stocks of diesel and other middle Distillates are below normal and prices could start rising quickly if the industrial economies of North America and Western Europe emerge from the lingering recession in 2024. If that happens, they're saying prices are going to go up again. I still believe the cornerstone of the inflation we saw in the U.S. had to do with fuel prices. Um, A coalition of Republican and uh, advocates for the natural gas industry are pressuring the Biden administration to make changes. And the reason why I bring this up is because I talk about policy and how in policy when it comes to fuel – It affects the price. And the president of the United States, even Democrats are beginning to ask questions about these huge projects on liquefied natural gas that the president is canceling. And it's going to hurt Europe. It's going to embolden and it's going to enrich Russia. And I think that it's an issue that needs to be addressed. And what's interesting about this is when you read the reports from it, it wasn't the White House saying that this is affecting climate change in a negative way. They're saying we don't know if it's going to affect climate change until we know. No, it's it's squashed. I just think that's the wrong road to travel. But now I want to talk about something else. This is part of policy as well. Public transportation, public transit ridership in the Phoenix area has not rebounded from pre-pandemic levels. According to the communications manager for Valley Metro, the agency was operating at 61 percent of pre-pandemic levels. Um, The work from home policies, cheaper gas prices are likely major reasons for the drop. What we're seeing is now is ridership pick up more in the middle of the day and on the fringes. So it's just spreading differently. Um, I have been I was and remain a critic of how we handle public transportation here in the valley. I am an advocate. I've been to major cities. I love the transportation system in New York. Um, We're not ever going to be New York, that city with its subway system and everything else. Uh, When I was, I spent a summer living in Staten Island when I was very young and uh, we would take a bus to a train to the to the ferry to the Staten Island ferry into the city and take the subway where we needed to go. You're not going to have that kind of coordinated, at least not in my lifetime. We're going to have that here. But we have a light rail system that rides on the same roads as the buses. It doesn't alleviate traffic. It's it, it's a it's a nightmare for what we've spent on it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't have a thriving public transportation system. If you've heard me do this rant, if you've lived in Arizona for a long time, maybe you're new here. We run buses on the surface streets on the rush hour and the and the busiest times of day. 
They ride in the right-hand lane and about 100 yards, maybe a little more than that, past the traffic light. So when you cross an intersection is the first bus stop. They have bus stops every quarter of a mile. So you get just on the other side of an intersection at the busiest times of day, and the buses are stopping on the street and in some cases taking up half of the traffic lanes. Instead of having a bus pull out where the bus can pull off the road in order to let riders get on and off, they tie up half the lanes of travel during the busiest times of day. And instead of fixing that situation, we spend billions of dollars on light rail, which rides on the same streets as the buses. It doesn't make sense to me. It never has. And I'm an advocate for public transportation. I would love for us to address that issue. I don't know that we will. Just after 11 o'clock, we go back to the Supreme Court's decision on the presidency. We'll talk about it next.